passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors is everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. From superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED lights, and more, whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another edition of WrestleNomics Radio. I'm Brandon Thurston, broadcasting live and on demand from Buffalo, New York, where today is Sunday, June 18th, Father's Day. This is our follow-up episode to our Mother's Day episode, and I'm joined by Jesse Collins. Hello. And I want to say a special hello to Chris Gullo, as I was bombarded this week on both Dynamite and Collision broadcasts. Admittedly, I did not tune into Rampage. Could have been airing during Rampage, too. But in our local market of Buffalo, New York, I was uh, immersed in advertisements for Gullo's Garden Center. Is this your, your, are, are you, in, in the interest of full disclosure, Chris Gullo, are you buying advertising during AEW broadcasts? I am not buying advertising during AEW broadcasts. I am not affiliated with Gullo's Garden Center as an employee or anything like that. Now, it is owned by my uncle. Uh, you know, my, the, my, uh, mom's brother. So like it is in the family, but, uh, I, I have no ties to Gullo's garden. Okay, can can you send him an invoice? Because we're, we're, we have calls, calls to action here on the screen right now for people watching live on YouTube, the website and the phone number are there. If you want yeah. to do business with, with the garden center, um, there it is, but you're a big gardener. Yeah. Yeah. They, yeah, but yeah, it's a garden center. They have a landscaping company too. So I thought we were going to have like our own little like uh, mini segment each week on the show called Hello Gullo and Gullo. We just slapped that background around Gullo and he tells us a story about his life for like two minutes. Yes. Yeah. No one's ever said Hello Gullo's until my aunt who probably came up with that slogan, I'm assuming. So yeah. Well, it does rhyme. It, it does, but mm-hmm. you know, it's not okay. a word. Hello is not a word. <laughs> Well, uh, we're going to talk today about the debut, not that much to say yet because the ratings aren't out, but the debut of AEW Collision as well as the report from the New York Post that FX is interested in WWE Live rights um, as well as some ratings things, looking at the long-term ratings of, of WWE in particular. And the MLW versus WWE lawsuit must continue. We will explain that as well. Um but first, we'll do some uh, housekeeping. Once again, if you haven't uh, listened to, to last week's episode, WrestleNomics Radio, this podcast that you're listening to right now, will become Patreon exclusive three or four weeks out of each month beginning in July. So the July 9th episode will be the first episode that is exclusive to subscribers at patreon.com slash WrestleNomics. And, and 
will continue to have the first episode of each month will continue to be free on the platform that you're listening to or watching right now. But other than that, they will be exclusive to Patreon, uh, still in the WrestleNomics Radio podcast feed and in the YouTube channel. There will continue to be the Pollock and Thurston podcast that is uh, a collaboration of WrestleNomics and Post Wrestling. Um, so that will continue to be free. Uh, we just had this past when did we release it? Wednesday. It was recorded on Monday. Uh, John Pollock's and mine talk with Tony Khan, which we can probably talk about uh, as well uh, today. Uh, Jesse, I know you've listened to it. Your analysis. Um, I was interested in it for sure. I definitely think there's a lot of – it's a Tony Khan interview, so there's a lot of him going into promoter mode. Um, it was a great show. It was a great interview. Uh, uh, I'm sorry. No, I mean I thought – you know, he definitely is a really bad time for a car alarm to be going off. Hold on. <laughs> as, um, as, as someone burglarizing a car uh, in, in Boston. But uh, we can touch on last night and on AEW Collision, CM Punk said that, what is his line? He David Zasloff, who's pictured here for people watching live on YouTube, David Zasloff calls, calls him. Calls him one, one Bill Phil. One Bill Phil, big CM Punk fan, David Zaslav, I suppose. Um, but it raises some, some questions. But what were your thoughts on the uh, the interview, Jesse? I thought, you know, it's one of the, my big takeaway, honestly, is that Tony... I did a good job, right? I did, I did good? Did I do okay? I, was, I, I thought that you and John did an excellent job asking the questions that you could ask and trying to get something out of Tony that you don't see him get out of say the wrestling podcast he did earlier this week with uh i think it's barstool right um and some of the other podcasts you see it was funny i was thinking about you know like one of like the things tony does during that interview is anytime he's asked about a question about cm punk potentially feuding with the elite tony turns into this monologue about oh well he's feuding with you know samoa joe is a longtime rival samoa joe this saturday and then CM Punk comes out on Saturday for Collision. He's wrestling Samoa Joe later that night. And does he mention Samoa Joe in his opening promo? Absolutely no. not. He takes shots at the Elite instead. What was he talking? Um, I didn't. I didn't understand any of that promo. I don't know what he, what exactly he was talking about. I, he was talking about David Zaslav, who's maybe David Zaslav will be his manager soon on television. That would be interesting. Um, not really sure. He was. He's just been missing because of an injury primarily. Only. Right. There's. Um, well, I mean, that's true. He has only been missing because of the injury. If he wasn't injured, he would have been on the show much more recently. Uh, he would have never missed time. He'd be the AEW world champion if he wasn't injured. Yes. You must believe that. Yes. Yes. Um, but yeah, I mean, if you wanted to get into his promo, I mean, it's uh, it's going to be a week by week thing. I don't know. I don't. I think like in a vacuum, his promo was compelling, but I don't really know what it means for the direction of his character. I don't really know what it means for the direction of his feuding with the elite, perhaps that's intentionally by design that we're supposed to want to keep tuning in each week. I thought that there was a kind of a, a representative disconnect between his match later that night and who he was supposed to be feuding with the bullet club, gold and Samoa Joe and what he was actually saying, which was seemed to be implying feuds with both the elite and MJF coming up. Yes. A, a real life feud. Uh, and in a, a, Worked pro wrestling feud, I guess. Those are two different things. So we can look at the uh, WrestleTix number, the estimate of tickets distributed that we have for this event. At the United Center, 
the same location of the second rampage where CM Punk made his return to pro wrestling after seven years of absence. Uh, this is Saturday night, 10, uh, 9,203. 9,203. I sort of speculated maybe it could get up to 10,000, but you know, falling short of that. 9,203 is the latest number that I imagine WrestleDix may have a final count. This is not a final count, but this is as of yesterday afternoon-ish, I, I believe. So not a great number, but but it's certainly far better than any of the other collision numbers that are out there so far. Uh, next week is Toronto. Be interesting to see what the crowd reaction is in Toronto away from Chicago. Uh, but the night before Forbidden Door, where that event is going to have more than 10,000 people at it. It's going to be virtually sold out in the Scotiabank Arena. 2,523 for the Saturday night collision. So, I don't know, a quarter of the, of the, of the audience will be in attendance, it looks like, for that one. Um, yeah, so the f- first thing, talking about this collision taping uh, in Chicago... I think it's a testament to CM Punk's drawing power in the city of Chicago. I know people might see that 9,200 number and say, well, they didn't sell at the United Center like they did two years ago or whatever. But I don't think anyone really realist- realistically thought that was an expectation that they could hit. I think um, if you look at it just in a vacuum, it's AEW's largest attendance this year so far, I believe. I believe it is um, has an outside chance of probably being their largest attendance in the United States this year, which shows are going to be that we don't have a uh, maybe all out, um, maybe full gear, um, perhaps Grand Slam, which I don't think they've announced yet, but I'd be surprised if they weren't doing Grand Slam. You're saying but this is the highest attendance for AW so far this year? I think that's right, isn't it? No, double or nothing. Um, let me look. I'm looking now. Um, Oh, to double I mean, or nothing it's, cross it's 10, certainly 000? up there. Double or nothing WrestleTix has at ten thousand five hundred and fifty. Okay. Now, maybe, yeah. maybe that's with with comps. It's I don't know. That that's a pretty big difference, though. Ninety two hundred versus ten thousand five hundred. Yeah, I'm sorry. I, I was discounting that double. I'm for, I'm discounting the like the late sales for double or nothing. In my mind, double or nothing was still at like the eighty five hundred mark. But it is higher than even, Revolution so, though at eighty nine hundred. Yeah. Yeah, so let's say second highest, you know, for uh, a television taping, not for a pay-per-view. Probably not a lot of fly-in fans for this collision. Maybe there was some, but probably not as much as there would be for Double or Nothing. Um, yeah, as far as other you know, TVs significant- that are high, I've got yeah. Winnipeg 7,400, if you round it, mm-hmm. in March. Yeah, and there was like the Seattle show, which is probably close to this number. You're right, 9,121 for Seattle on January 4th. Mm-hmm. Well, Englewood, 9,636 for Englewood on January okay. 11th. So that would be the next yeah. highest yeah. TV. And this would be higher than that by a, sl- a slight margin. Probably. Well, um, so I think that's a success. I think if I was looking at the show look going forward, what is holding Collision back? Why are some of these ticket sales, I think, disappointing? I think a primary thing would be a um, concern about Collision, just feeling like a B-show, feeling like it's not as important as Dynamite, feeling like Rampage, feeling like a show that people can skip and they're not going to miss anything. And what I'll say about last night's show was that it was a show where stuff happens, right? CM Punk returned, cut his big promo, had a big match in the main event. Um, They had a title change between, you know, Wardlow and Luchasaurus slash Christian. I don't know how that's going to shake out, but there was a title change. You know, they had the return... Yep, they had returning matches to, with, um, you know, uh, Andrade coming back, Miro coming back. 
Um, so it did definitely, at least for one week, felt like a major show stuff happened and felt like it had, you know, had a really great crowd. Obviously they were really into CM Punk. He got giant pop when he came out. So it felt like an important show that you had to watch if you're an AEW fan and you want to stay in the loop. Whether or not it stays that way, we're gonna. It's gonna be week by week. We do. We have no idea what it's gonna look like in a few weeks, in a few months, or in a few months. Um, but I do think that that would be. I do think the show on Saturday sets a positive note and perhaps maybe increases, helps contribute to stronger ticket sales for Collision over the next six or seven weeks because, in that at least for one week so far has felt like a really important show that fans should need to see. Yeah. I, I think Lavi Margolin on, on Twitter raised the, the point that it'd be interesting to see if they continue to book large scale hockey sized arenas, like the Prudential center. If they're only, I mean, it's currently the Prudential center is the highest collision event that is yet to, to take place. 4,500. Um, I mean, I, I imagine it'll be a little bit higher. Let's, let's say it gets to five or 6,000. Do you need to be booking the Prudential Center if you want to run it in Newark? Is there not a smaller venue that would cost less? Uh, so it'll be interesting to see if, I mean, Dynamite for that matter, if they continue to always book these basketball, hockey, you know, NHL, NBA uh, venues. Yeah, and obviously the Scotiabank Arena is a, is a very large NBA, NHL-sized arena. In Toronto, I believe the Saddle Dome also is around the same size as those other buildings. Um, yeah, the Flames. We've talked about the first Ontario Center. I think it's a little bit smaller than um, Cops Coliseum. Yeah, I think it's like what ten thousand capacity or something like that. Um, the Brand Center is a more typical dynamite-sized building. I think it's like six thousand five hundred mm-hmm. or something for attendance. Mm-hmm. So you see kind of a mix on here as far as the size of the buildings, but. I mean, they have not been deterred by, um, you know, lower dynamite ticket sales. They're still, you know, running more of those NBA-sized arenas. I know they're coming to Boston, the TD Garden. They were in Washington, D.C. Um, for this, uh, was it uh, this past Wednesday, right? They were in Washington, yes. D.C. Yes. Yeah. And they ran the Capital um, One Arena, which is the NBA arena in that city. And they had previously been in a much smaller venue. I think they were in like a 3,500 seat venue for the last few times they had been in Washington, DC. Um, So they're not deterred by their, they feel like being in those big buildings, even if they're only doing, you know, 4,000, 5,000 fans is still worth it to them. So if I share this one, uh, this shows that dynamite, according to WrestleTix numbers, is averaging in Q2 to date, which is almost, we're almost done with Q2. Can you believe it? Uh, 5,000 is the average currently for Dynamite tapings, uh, which is, well, last, uh, last quarter Q1 was 5,600. Quarter before that in Q4 was at 4,300. So it's, uh, it's kind of a decline. If you go, certainly if you look back to Q3 2021, where they averaged almost 7,000, and that would include Arthur Ashe, a uh, big Newark show, I believe a big Long Island show. Um, but it is coming down to around the 5,000 range here for Dynamite. Mm-hmm. And you look at it, in a lot of ways, a lot of the ticket sale fluctuation can be based on how frequently they've been to a market. I think you look at part of the issue, I think, with quarter four of 2022 was that they were running in a lot of markets. They had run a lot before. I know they were in Boston. They were in like Philadelphia. They were in Pittsburgh. Um, they were in a lot of the markets that they've been in several times, if I recall correctly. Um, and then in quarter one of this year, one of the reasons I think attendance was up was because they hit a lot of markets they hadn't been in. We already mentioned some of them, right? The big Winnipeg show, the big Seattle show. They were in Inglewood, California for only the second time. 
Um, that helped, I think, quarter one really, you know, boost up their attendance. Quarter two, we're starting to see, I think, a mix. We saw some first-time markets. We saw them, like, in San Diego, California. Um, but now they're starting to go back to, I think, the same kind of markets they've been to. And with the addition of Collision, you're now going to theoretically go through your markets at double speed because now you have two touring shows instead of one. Um, and they're doing a Dynamite in Wintrust Arena in Chicago again already, and then they're probably probably going to do all out, I think, in Chicago in September. Um, so that's a, it's a lot of Chicago in a short amount of time in any case. Well, yeah. What, what do you think a good strategy for collision because you're trying to get it up and running is to kind of run the smaller college arenas like they did in the beginning of dynamite where most yeah, of them that's, were that's those exactly what I'm, what I'm saying. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Say, say more yeah, about I'm, that. Like, 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 for, you know, you, you want to, you're creating like you're creating a new brand. So you have to obviously grow it. Um, and if you, if the majority of arenas are these large arenas and the attendance numbers, you know, come out and they don't look good because of what you're, putting out there but it's like hey we ran mostly 6000 seat arenas and we're averaging 5000 seats that's that's a lot better than averaging 5000 seats for mostly running 10000 seat arenas it just and less expensive probably it's, yeah it's a and it's a popularity perception cuz you know yeah. people will take any ball they can run with it's like oh look CAW's dying in popularity <laughs> you know like i don't know and i'm sure they don't I, really I, care about the pr aspect but i i think there's pros and cons to i think most wrestling fans would say aesthetically from a viewer experience i'd rather have like a full building of 5000 fans than mm-hmm. even like 5500 fans at a 14000 seat building right the it's going to sound louder when you have a building full you can have you know you don't have to move everyone to the hard camp side if you're you're in a large arena um but i also think that aw does care about the perception of the sense of we are going to have we have we're a big wrestling company where we want to compete with WWE. We want to be seen as a viable entertainment brand at the level of WWE. That means running the same buildings that WWE runs, even if you maybe are paying more for those buildings than you would be for smaller venues. Even if you're maybe aesthetically presenting a more uh, challenging for the viewer uh, experience because you're going to have a lot of empty seats. Um, but the idea is to make it a big show. I think Collision. Is it a bigger be, show just because it's in a bigger building, even even if that building is half full? I, I, I think would, that's the impression they want to give off. I think that, like, Collision with, like, CM, it's going to be the CM Punk show. It's, it's with one Bill Phil. Let me tell you something. One Bill Phil ain't running little college arenas. One Bill Phil is going into the Capital One Arena. He's running the United Center. He's running the, the Prudential Center in Newark, New Jersey. He's running the Scotiabank Arena. It's the big show with CM Punk, the big star, and they're in the biggest arenas that they can find for that. Whether or not that makes sense, I have no idea um, from their bottom line perspective. But I do think that that... The perception is we're big, we're major league, we're going to run the biggest buildings we can run, even if we're necessarily not filling them. I feel like that's been a strategic change for AEW, and that's why they're in so many of these larger venues. Okay. So that's the live attendance. More importantly, more importantly, we will get not on Tuesday morning, which will be the normal schedule going forward, but this week, because of the Juneteenth holiday, Nielsen ratings are delayed by one day, uh, for the most part. And... It's going to be available Wednesday morning, the TV rating is, unless there's a fast national around there. But I, I haven't heard anything this morning so far. So the AEW Collision rating should be out on Wednesday morning. I, this, so what, what was the competition last night? Yeah, and on, on NBC broadcast, the U.S. Open Golf was on. Uh, Fox had baseball with the No, Yankees. it did not. That game was no, rained out. Yeah. It was rained out. Mm-hmm. 
did they play any any like the other game? Because I know some of the, the Southwest markets had a Padres game. I think they they might have done that then. But uh, so I what was on Fox? I, last I wasn't night. watching. I wasn't watching Fox. I okay. can't tell you. I just know that the Red Sox game was freaked out because it was pouring rain. Chat room, tell us what was on Fox last night if you know. Uh, Global monitor. Um, so nothing. So, something was on. Something else was on Fox. Uh, College World Series on ESPN. UFC Fight Night prelims on ESPN two. Um, so, so maybe not as tough competition if there was no Yankees Red Sox game being and, broadcast and naturally. The, the U.S. Open golf was that running in prime time at the same yes, because it, it's because it's in California, I believe it's in L.A. Okay. So yeah, this this is what was on the TV guide schedule. Um, so I put out a poll with four possible options. What do you think the AEW Collision P eighteen to forty nine TV rating is going to be? Point two five or lower. 0. 0.26 to 0. 0.29, 0. 0.30 to 0. 0.33, 0. 0.34 or higher. For reference, Dynamite has been doing about a 0. 0.30 uh, in the demo of late. What did it do most recently, this past Wednesday? It did a 0. 0.30. Week before that, it did a 0. 0.33. Week before that, it did a 0. 0.29. Uh, and the plurality of responses say 0. 0.25 or lower. So I apparently did not provide... Uh, a set of options that resulted in in the most popular choice being the one one that was in the middle. Um, what were your guys' Would predictions you, last week? I believe I said a point two seven. Two seven. Okay. I think it was point two zero. Yeah. Point two zero. Yeah, I was doom hater. Golo says doom <laughs> for for AEW. It's well, Saturday, Saturday, Saturday nights, man, and you know. Let me ask both of you. Like I guess Golo first. Yes. Just yesterday, like. Leading up to the show and maybe when the show was on and maybe when the show was over, just like, did you get the vibe that like people were really interested uh, in Collision, like on social media and things like that? Did you feel like Collision felt like this episode felt like a big deal? Honestly, not as much as a dynamite. No, I mean, I checked Twitter to especially see what people were paying about CM Punk and stuff, but it seemed a lot less busy, especially from your typical people that tweet about wrestling mm-hmm. like on, on a dynamite it didn't seem as active i mean i you know I, i'm not following everybody and there's some people i'd rather not follow but it just didn't seem as active as like on a wednesday night yeah what about you Brandon? about AEW. i did have thoughts along, along these lines of raising my my bible meter antenna um it's a far cry it's not saying much but it's a far cry from punk's return in august 2021 um what what's what's the question? Exactly. Like did you what was kind of the vibe you got from social media and wherever else you're you're witnessing as far as like social media seeing wrestling and Twitter, fans I guess about I, things. I, I would say this was more than a, a than a dynamite. I don't know if that's indicative of a rating though. Well yeah, I know. Obviously I don't know what the rating is gonna be. I, I felt like I got the vibe that this felt like a big deal. It felt almost like a kind of like an AEW pay per view in some sense. Maybe it's just because it was on the weekend, but I felt like people were really interested in seeing CM Punk and really interested in seeing what he was going to say. Doesn't necessarily mean anything long-term for Collision, but I thought that Collision in general was a success in fe- the deb- debut episode of Collision felt like an important thing that you should be watching, I guess. Uh, and I think that's a positive vibe just you know, for Collision and also for um, you know, this rating, whatever it's going to be. I feel like it's probably at the level of at least a dynamite. So I would say I'm probably a little low with a 0.27. I wouldn't be surprised if it's higher, but maybe we'll all learn a lesson on how difficult it is for them to do a rating on Saturday nights. For what it's worth, the if we go into Google Trends and just isolate the United States and look over the past seven days, um, at 8 o'clock, 
you know, I'm looking at the past seven days, so that includes Dynamite on Wednesday and Saturday night last night. And we get, uh, you know, the, the peak for Wednesday for, for AEW is at 9 o'clock where it did about 58% of what the peak was for Saturday. So what was that? I mean, it means that, that, that when Collision started, searches related to, to AEW were almost double that of the highest hour during Wednesday night. Does that mean anything for a rating? I don't know, but it's encouraging. Because if certainly if the, if the rating was going to be terrible, it, it's you, you would not see more web search interest, right? You know, than Wednesday night, I would think. Um, but that I guess that's encouraging. We'll see what the number is, though. Um, what 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 do these these ratings on Saturday usually do for the broader uh, television landscape? Um, we've got the last two Saturdays here from Showbuzz on the screen, and the, the last two Saturdays had a Stanley Cup Finals game on TNT, which did a .58 and a .50. Um, that's obviously not the case now. Stanley Cup Finals are over. So we've got the UFC prelims uh, last Saturday. PPV prelims did a .40. Um, top rank boxing did a .22. So I would, you know anything above a .20 is probably going to be in the top five um, to win. Um, this is just cable, cable original, so not including anything that was on broadcast. Um, ESPN College World Series uh, is probably gonna. Is, is there anything else out there? Was there news? I, I, I can't imagine the competition among the Showbuzz table, cable originals in the demo is gonna be that tough. Um, if it's if it's above a point three, I it could be number one. Yeah, I mean, there's really no scripted television competition on Saturdays, especially in the summertime. Yeah. Um, that's just not going to be a night that's going to have it. Sports, absolutely. But the sports is kind of going to kind of vary. You know, there'll be, there'll be nights where there'll be NASCAR races in the summer on Saturday nights um, that will probably be on cable. Um, UFC, like prelims and stuff like that might be a consistent competitor. But like you said, like there's going to be no Stanley Cup finals, so you could take that right out. Um there was, uh, well, there's Formula One like qualifying and stuff like that. I see Formula One qualifying is uh, here on the June third. That would be on 3rd. ESPN, right? And so the, what I was on ESPN? So. What was on ESPN last night was what what was in the slide there. Uh, UFC Fight Night prelims and College World Series. So I don't mm-hmm. think there's any Formula One to go up against. Right, and the College World Series. Unless it was earlier in the day. And the College World Series isn't going to be consistent throughout the summer either. It's going to be wrapping up pretty soon. So what what time do the, the Formula One Formula One races are earlier in the day, so I might be completely. Yeah, wrong. but I believe they were in. I think they're they were in Canada uh, this for this race. Usually, you know, if they're in Europe or Asia, um, they're obviously going to be in earlier time slots. But I believe since the race was in Canada, um, I don't know if it was a race or qualifying or whatever. But the, the, this week, I believe they're in Canada, so it's maybe in a more prime time or a late afternoon slot. Okay. Well. Anyway, if, you, if you're waiting for the wrestling discourse, the ratings discourse, excuse me, uh, Wednesday, uh, Wednesday afternoon, there will be an episode of Pollock and Thurston. Uh, we will be talking just after the rating is out, presumably, unless there's some Nielsen technical delays. We should have a AEW collision rating in hand uh, on Wednesday afternoon as we, we will be joined by, I believe, Jesse's very own uncle, Dave Meltzer. So we will be talking, the three of us, about the Wednesday rating, or I'm sorry, the uh, the collision rating and whatever else is uh, in the wrestling business news by that time. So I have a funny Dave story for I'll tell off air. You <laughs> just en- enrage the chat, enrage all viewers now. Um, so anyway, by the way, if you want to uh, participate today with the super chat, you're more than welcome to, and we will 
respond to your question or your comment uh, if you're watching live on YouTube. Um, in other news, according to Andrew Marchand, Marchand, Marchand of the uh, New York Post, uh, he had a report this week saying that uh, the headline is why FX is a contender for for WWE's broadcast rights. Um, and I have some notes here from Andrew Marchand's uh, report here. He writes that the WWE has the WWE, the World Wrestling Entertainment, has finished its exclusive negotiating window with Fox and Comcast slash USA Network without a deal. The Post has learned that's not surprising, though. He goes on to say, and the incumbents, which is Fox and NBCU slash USA Network, the incumbents remain the favorites. Um, there's a there's a million dollar man, Ted DiBiase, quote in the story. Thank you, Andrew. Uh, one party that does have interest in adding the WWE is Disney. According to sources, the potential cable placement would not be ESPN, but rather FX. Besides FX, the biggest new player could be Amazon Prime Video, something we've talked about here on this program a number of times. Uh, he goes on to say the reason FX makes more sense than ESPN is ESPN can't guarantee a night of the week to WWE. Um, and he goes on to say, Nick Khan has a strong relationship with Jimmy Pitaro, who is the ESPN chairman, as well as the ESPN president of content, Burke Magnus. And of course, there's a connection between Disney slash ESPN, uh, between Endeavor slash UFC, uh, which W is obviously uh, merging with sometime this year, probably. Uh, one nugget. Oh, here it is. One nugget that Andrew Marchand was told was that 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 may interest wrestling fans is that Warner Brothers Discovery does not have to stay exclusive to AEW. It would be something if it got in on WWE, but he, but he doesn't even see that. Uh, he also mentioned Apple as a dark horse along with WBD. So FX, I, I, I'm disappointed in myself for not realizing FX was a possibility here. We've talked about ESPN a number of times, and I've said you know ESPN is not going to fit in WWE for you know 52 weeks a year. ESPN2 maybe, but ESPN2 is a lower power network. Maybe FX is a good alternative. Jesse's frozen in time. You have a thought, Cole? Yeah. So first off, uh, over the years, oh, I just just broke up a little bit. Um, I'll just over, yeah, over the years, uh, how many times have we heard that? Oh, FX is interested in wrestling. Now, granted, they were owned by Fox most of those times. We've heard you heard that, that before? But, I, I, mean, uh, <laughs> I mean, you may know more than I have. Um, I mean, WCW uh, towards WCW. the end, that was, that was really? a big thing. Bishop was trying to get a deal there. Okay. And then I feel like when SmackDown was bought by Fox, there was like talks of, of something about like maybe them getting in, trying to get raw on FX or something. I do remember hearing something about FX in the recent years, too. But we've heard that over the years. But um, just on top of that, too, is the household reach very similar to USA? It's very similar. Yeah, yes. I, I figured it was. But I mean, I'm Disney. I mean, I'm not totally surprised, but I don't I don't know how serious they are. Yeah. You know? uh, and just to clear up the, the ownership timeline for people, um, p- people may think of FX as being a Fox network. That was the case until mm, late last decade. And now it's a Disney network, which was acquired along with 21st Century Fox, number of other assets. Your thoughts, Jesse? Who do you think Andrew Marshawn's sources are for this story? I, I don't source guess on this program. Right. Um, but I would, when I saw this, I said, well, this very well could be someone in WWE telling Andrew Marchand, oh, yes, these people are interested in this FX, Amazon Prime. Now, maybe Andrew Marchand is double sourcing and going to. He certainly, ha- I would certainly think he has the ability to ask people who would know outside of WWE. Yeah. Right. So that's possible. Um, 
it's obviously, but but realistically, right? WWE, Raw, and SmackDown, um, if they were to both be on cable or even with SmackDown on network television, are amongst the most highly rated programs of the week every week that they're on. So it makes perfectly logical sense that they would have many people pursuing them because of how powerful they have emerged as a distinct entity on cable television in terms of being able to consistently be number one every week, 52 weeks a year. Um, FX to my knowledge, doesn't have any like live sports or live programming really at all. Um, FX is kind of strange um, in its presentation of its cable network. It's really like a, uh, like this, this I'm trying to, there's really no other network kind of like it to me. It's like almost like a vehicle for their streaming platform, in a way. Like for, Disney for Hulu, likes, yeah. yeah, Disney, the FX brand, because of some success they've had with prestige television, um, the FX brand is used almost as on a in the sense for Hulu branding, which is like FX is going to produce the Bear. FX produces right. Um, some the other bear. shows that are on Hulu. Um, oh yeah, it's a very good show. And Brandon asked the what bear. the bear was. Yeah, yeah, no, it's coming. The bear's coming back like next week or something yeah. like that. Um, but they have other shows that I, I can't think of off the top of my head. But if you go on some of like the most popular shows on Hulu are FX branded shows, and um, so they kind of like use it as like a prestige drama kind of wing of Disney. Yeah, um, and because Disney Plus is very restrictive and what kind of content they want to put out there. They want it to basically all be family friendly. Um, that's why Hulu has some sort of value to Disney still, because it's a, a basically a place where they can park mature contents um, that is still valuable to them. And FX is kind of the brand for that. FX has all the TVMA shows. So if WWE were to be affiliated with Disney in some capacity, um, if they didn't want to have pro wrestling, even WWE's relatively family friendly presentation of pro wrestling, associated with the Disney brand or even the ESPN brand, FX does make sense as a similar kind of entity to like say USA or TBS or TNT to put that kind of content on there. Um, And like I said, FX doesn't have any really thing on the network like a live wrestling show or live sports, but obviously being affiliated with Disney and certainly with ESPN, they have the capacity to do that. It wouldn't be impossible for the company to be able to, produce a live they wouldn't be learning on the fly is what i mean i guess i mean yeah and i so the the coverage is about the same between say fx and, and any other top cable network um which is i believe according to sports tv ratings on twitter it's about we're, we're at about 74 million homes or so uh that have cable in the united states out of like 120 million or something like that yeah um so i know like on i'm oh, sorry like on every cable package that I've ever had access to like FX USA TBS and TNT are all like right in a row. They're all very similar, like kind of standard basic cable packages. Right. Channels. So I think, you know, over the, over the years, the W content has pretty much proven that, you know, when they change networks, whether it's, I mean, USA has pretty much always had raw with the exception of the time where they were on TNN with uh, Viacom, but SmackDown has jumped around quite a bit. Um, so I think there's a pretty good chance that, you know, nearly 100% of the viewership will transfer. Um, the viewership rankings, according to Variety's end of the year postings, um, the viewership rankings that separate, say, USA Network and FX are, is, is pretty wide. Uh, this is for prime time is what they measure. But 
a lot of that is, is overwhelmingly driven by Raw and to some extent NXT. So how much of that difference? I think it's something like 700,000 viewers is what USA averages in primetime versus like something like 400,000 for FX in primetime. So I could see the, you know, the majority at least of, of that difference being driven by WWE content. Um, so if you took, which I doubt, I think is the less likely case, but if you took Raw away from USA Network and put it on FX, I think, you know, a lot of that difference would transfer. Um, SmackDown seems like the more likely option, but still a lot of that difference would transfer if you took it off of Fox uh, and onto FX. Um, what about just NXT? What if the, you know, Nick Khan's trying to sell the media rights for NXT separately and maybe that's something FX gets? Maybe, but I, but I think that the, the play, why this would make sense for FX is, Chris Gull, where do cable networks especially get the majority of their revenue? I mean, it's subscriptions, the big ones, the big ones. So I, and, and I guess, as you guys pointed out, FX has maybe no live content, uh, no sports. So I would imagine that FX, unlike maybe the USA network, definitely TNT and TBS, FX is probably not driving a lot of carriage revenue, uh, for carriage fees for cable systems to carry FX. Um, but if they had a really popular, TV show that was live and they were a more highly ranked network, they could probably drive more carriage fees. So I don't think NXT will suffice for that strategy. You've got to have raw or SmackDown. That's going to help your carriage fees. Uh, if you can enhance an area of revenue for this network, that is probably close to non-existent. Um, so that's why I, th- I think it would make sense. And in W's case, um, the big question for SmackDown and we've, we've discussed is that, Fox is maybe not that interested. I mean, Endeavor executives felt it was important enough to tell their investors that Fox might not bid strongly, something to that effect. Fox might not bid strongly for SmackDown, so just be prepared for that. Um, So if that's the case, you know, what's going to drive that price up is another, at least another competitive bid. Is that going to come from Amazon Prime Video? Maybe. Um, The risk with Amazon Prime Video is you're taking one of your core shows and putting it um, onto a platform that's going to have a lot lower reach despite the fact that, yes, there are probably 80 million homes or something like that that have Amazon Prime, uh, it's still not a very strong network, as, as evidenced by the pretty good, but, but still not comparable, well behind uh, the, the TV ratings that the NFL games did on Thursday night on Amazon Prime. They were well behind what the other NFL games are doing on traditional TV. Um, the safety of being on Fox is that you're on FX is that you're still on a pretty strong traditional TV network that's going to have strong reach, that's going to help your downstream businesses such as ticket sales, such as sponsorships and things like that. Um, consumer products. So it, it, it makes sense. And it's a, it's a stronger, it's another potentially strong bid that might force the hand of Fox to bid strongly and give WWE an upgrade. And WWE's, you know, the next day rights are still on Hulu for now. Um, yes. And so that already, that already has some level of business for relationship between like Disney and the FX brand in some ways. And uh, Disney owns, WWE. I believe three quarters Comcast owns a quarter or something, or, right. or it might be two thirds, one third in any case. Right. And I think, so the, there is the a prevailing wisdom there. now. The prevailing wisdom is that Disney is going to, going to take full ownership because I think there's a contract that's coming up where NBC has to decide whether to, to keep it or not. I think they're also like merging it into Disney Plus, where it's like it will be its own separate app, but it will be on Disney Plus. If I'm like I, I read reports, it's all in Bob Iger's so. hands, Gullo. We'll see. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. 
Mm-hmm. I'm looking just at like FX's TV schedule. It seems like they pretty much just show movies. Yeah. Uh, especially in well, we got the new uh, Justified series coming out soon. So, so but is that even is that airing on FX or is that on? Hulu? I actually don't know. That might be a Hulu thing. Yeah. Because Hulu I'm just schools. looking at their I'm looking at their schedule. Like, and it's obviously the summertime. Um, and like every night, it's almost all. Like they're showing, you know, Fast the Furious and Thor and Captain America and Spider Man. Like they're showing, you know, big action movies basically round the clock. Um, I can't think of the name, Jesse, but the Andrew Garfield series about the Mormons was that exclusive to like Hulu? Uh, I can't remember because that really got I, a lot of. I feel things. like they. I feel like I always thought that sometimes they would air on FX, like, and then they, then they'd be on Hulu like the next day. But now I feel like they don't even air yeah, on FX. I don't cable yeah, they just go on Hulu directly, and they're called, like, FX shows, but they're on Hulu. Like, the FX is used as a branding mechanism for certain shows. Under the Banner of Heaven is what I was talking about, yeah. Yes. That show. I think I watched most of that. I don't know. I watched um, it. It was really good, but, yeah, I couldn't tell if it was a Hulu exclusive or aired on FX before. <laughs> yes. Okay. Once again, if you want to submit a super chat, we will answer your question before the end of the program. Um, we got a big ruling come down Thursday afternoon just after i wrote wrote my news report um that the judge in the mlw versus wwe case has decided that the the lawsuit will continue um so what's happened here is so in january 2020 2022 this is when this this lawsuit was filed more than a year ago about a year and a half ago um and an mlw for for those who are just catching up is alleging that uh you know WWE uh is a monopoly has monopoly power and they interfered, especially in a TV deal that MLW was allegedly about to announce. Um, Stephanie McMahon allegedly spoke with a to be executive and the deal was canceled the night before it was about to be announced. And MLW alleges a, a number of other ways that WB has supposedly interfered with MLW's business. So there was one complaint that had flaws in it that the judge said, if you, cure this. We'll look at it again. That initial complaint was dismissed. The wrestling media seemed to think that it was all over, but MLW um, submitted a first amended complaint, which is what's, what it, has, it is referred to throughout uh, these documents. It, it submitted a amended complaint, so it improved its arguments, uh, apparently, and the judge made a decision on Thursday to continue but to not dismiss the lawsuit. So WB has argued that the lawsuit lawsuit should be dismissed. They've gone back and forth a few times on this and the judge made his decision to let it go forward, which means that there will be discovery scheduled soon and probably a prospective trial date set soon. So this raises the the likelihood that this is going to be settled. I guess it's ultimately up to WB's and their lawyers judgment about uh, what the costs and risks are here. I mean, how, how confident did they feel in their argument that they could win in a trial? Uh, how damaging do they, you know, estimate uh, discovery will be? Will there be information that is, you know, that paints to be in a negative light or, or, or whatever? If they want to avoid that, they might settle. But we'll see what happens here. Um, but to for the, the lawsuit to continue, in order for the judge to deny W's motion to dismiss it had the the MLW uh, lawsuit had to meet four criteria which are relevant market monopoly power anti-competitive conduct and antitrust injury uh Gull, are you, are you uh, uh 
an expert on the anti-Sherman, the antitrust, uh, the Sherman Antitrust Act? Uh, I mean, a little bit. Yeah, we, we discussed it before, but that was obviously created to stop the monopolies of the Rockefellers and uh, J.P. Morgan and all that that were controlling. They were just buying out small competitors, uh, you know, because they had the money and they would use tactics to drive, you know, uh, a business away from those competitors as well. Right. So w- one issue that's been argued in this case is what is the relevant market? So you have to prove one that you're, you even have a rel- relevant market here. And LW is alleging that the relevant market is live pro wrestling TV rights in the United States. NW is trying to argue that that's, that's not a relevant market that you can't plausibly allege that such a market even exists because there are all, all these other programs that we compete with. And there's all these other programs that could potentially substitute any pro wrestling content. Um, and the judge has basically said, According to my notes here, W argues that MLW does not sufficiently allege that purchasers of the relevant product, purchasers are TV networks and streaming services, uh, W argues that the purchasers have no reasonably interchangeable content alternatives to wrestling programming. W says that the small fraction of media platforms that air pro wrestling content, quote, confirms that the majority of platforms view other content as reasonable alternatives for pro- professional wrestling. W also says that to define a relevant market. MLW must plausibly allege that men aged 35 to 44, which is the key demographic that they're pointing out, it skews towards. Uh, w says that you must plausibly allege that men 35 to 44 only watch pro wrestling. Now, with the addition of AW Collision, I think that, that that's the case may be stronger. But in any, in any case, uh, 35 to 44 year olds who are men only watch pro wrestling, and thus networks and streamers must purchase professional wrestling content in order to attract those viewers. Obviously, that's not the case. Um, but the judge disagrees with that argument by WWE. Uh, the judge says that although pro wrestling media rights may be a narrow market, the court may reasonably infer from MLW's allegations that other forms of pro- programming content are not economic substitutes for pro wrestling. MLW alleges pro wrestling programming is a niche market segment distinct from, say, comedy drama, reality, news, or sports shows. And MLW alleges pro wrestling's audience is demographically distinct from the general audience that, and that it skews male and towards 35 to 44. So I guess the, the judge is saying here, hey, look, we can define a pro wrestling media rights market because, um, because there's a difference, a distinction that you can make from other types of shows like comedy, drama, sports, reality news, and that it has a particular demographic that it, it tends to capture. Um, so that's number one. They're saying, yes, it does have a, a relevant market. Number two, you have to at least plausibly allege. And again, this is not the, the judge agreeing that MLW has successfully argued this, but has this is the judge saying that MLW has plausibly alleged these four criteria. Uh, the court finds that MLW has sufficiently pleaded circumstantial evidence of WWE's monopoly power, alleging that WWE captures 92% of the revenue generated from the sale of media rights for pro wrestling programming. Uh, MLW did, a, did some calculations here based on TV viewership to argue that, you know, 92% of, of all the TV rights revenue is being captured by WWE. We know what AEW's deal is worth. They also give, like, wow credit for based on its viewership, uh, it, it gives WoW credit for some sort of media rights revenue, which is probably, in my view, well in excess of what it's actually generating, if anything at all, beyond like an ad revenue share. Um, in any case, 92% could be low, uh, could be accurate. If, if anything, it might even be low. Um, but anyway, number three, anti-competitive conduct. 
because the mere possession of monopoly power is not unlawful, an antitrust plaintiff must show a defendant engaged in anti anti-competitive conduct. Um, so you don't have to. It's not that you just have monopoly power. It's that you have to show that the defendant actually engaged in anti-competitive conduct. Basically, the judge is saying that the exclusivity agreements that WWE has with NBC Universal with Fox, uh, which MLW alleges exist, uh, we haven't seen TV contracts here or anything. Maybe we will in Discovery. I don't know. But MLW alleges that there are exclusivity contracts. The notion that Reels, when it was streamed and is streamed on Peacock, when Reels was airing MLW Underground, the fact that it didn't air during that stream, the Tuesday 10 o'clock time slot that included MLW Underground, uh, that certainly lends credence to the notion that there, there is an exclusivity agreement, at least between NBC Universal and WWE. Um, I'm sort of raised some questions about uh, are, are there risks around having such ex- exclusivity agreements in these TV rights contracts? In any case, that's number three. Number four, antitrust injury. So MLW has to be plausibly alleged that, it, that WWE actually caused antitrust injury. Uh, the court finds that MLW has sufficiently alleged antitrust injury, alleging that WWE in- engaged in exclusionary conduct, including foreclosure of primary content distribution channels and attempted to, discon- attempt to continue to dominate the pro wrestling media market. Um, so that's basically what's happening there. Um, so it goes on. And like I said, it, this might lead to a settlement. And if it doesn't, it'll lead to discovery, which... I would look forward to, to researching <laughs> and maybe we would get, I don't know if we would get, or if, if, if W could potentially seal some of this information in discovery, if it got that far. Um, but it seems we may be getting as close as we've ever gotten to actually seeing some of these contracts. So it'll be interesting to follow. What do you think the end game is? Do you think we'll, we'll end up with court Bauer? He owns WWE now and UFC. Mm-hmm. He owns never. No, I, I don't, I don't think that uh, Jerry McDivitt will offer court Bauer to, we'll give you, WWE ownership if you uh, drop your lawsuit. I don't think that's going to happen, though. It's, it's going to be like the old wrestling promoter thing. Like, well, what if we send a couple talent to a show? Like, any, any, anytime Heyman would sue WCW, like, here, here's Aaron Anderson for a show. Like, I've heard people speculate that maybe this, you know, maybe this leads to some negotiation of, of WWE acquiring MLW. I, I think that's less likely. Um, but who knows? Can you clarify what Stephanie McMahon's role is alleged to have been? Stephanie McMahon allegedly called or spoke with, I don't know who called who, but spoke with a Tubi executive. So Tubi, Gullo, is owned by who? It's owned by Fox. Uh, What's Tubi's relationship with Fox? Well, obviously SmackDown every uh, Friday night. Right. And they may or may not have an exclusivity agreement with Fox that would encompass Tubi, I suppose, in, in the same way that the Peacock, you know, in the same way that MLW was not allowed to air on Peacock as part of the real stream. Um, Stephanie McMahon is alleged to have spoke with a 2 executive the night before MLW and 2B were going to announce some sort of distribution deal to put MLW content on 2B. And Stephanie McMahon spoke with the 2B executive and got allegedly got the deal killed the night before it was going to be announced. Right. Um, and Stephanie McMahon, of course, is no longer associated with WWE really in any capacity, correct? She's not on the board anymore. She doesn't have she, She's not an executive. She's not on the board. She owns a large amount of stock. She is behind Vince, the biggest personal owner. Uh, many institutions have more shares than she has, though. Right. But is it possible that Stephanie's, I don't want to say culpability, but her involvement in this lawsuit perhaps has led to her no longer having a position with the company? It seems more directly tied to Vince's return to power since she was, um, you know, 
hired as what the CC, uh, COO um, or president before during Vince's absence. Um, but is it possible to think that her involvement with this potential, you know, to be MLW situation uh, has, has, has led to her no longer being associated with the company in any formal capacity? I, I, it's possible. And I, I, it couldn't have helped. I tend to think that the more primary factors that led to her no longer being with the company are her political struggles with Vince and, and maybe all the other, other, th- I wonder how, how involved she was with selecting Christina Salen, who didn't work out as a CFO. Um, I think there's probably issues at play related to the sexual misconduct allegations, which she left temporarily just before those were made public. I have to think that that was a factor in her temporary leave of absence and his return right, the, directly resulted, directly resulted in her leaving the company. Again. Right. The timeline of, of her leaving the company, coming back and then leaving the company again would seem to suggest it's tied more towards Vince mm-hmm. in the power play involved con- over control of the company. But, um, I don't know. I just wanted to point out maybe there could be a factor there involving this two B lawsuit. Yeah. I mean, I don't know how much this is really going to cost them. Uh, a, a lot of money to MLW is not a lot of money to, to WWE. So I don't know what, what the real cost of this is, but it, it doesn't help. Right. Um, but I mean, Vince's, there are allegations here against Vince too, that supposedly Vince directed the then head of WWE studios to call somebody from vice and to try to get, MLW's relationship with Vice killed when they were airing their one episode special uh, on Vice a couple of years ago. Um, there's there's allegations that seem more more thin to me about uh, WWE supposedly interfering with MLW's relationship with Fight, which is apparently repaired enough that they have a new deal now, as we sit here. So, yeah. Anything else there? No, I'll, I'll take that as a no. Go. No? no. Okay. No. Okay. Moving on to uh, some TV ratings analysis here. I, I wanted to look at, you know, we know that WTV ratings are up, um, as indicated for people watching YouTube, by by this this chart here. They are up a whole 100,000 viewers versus last year uh, on average year to date. But what are the demos within that total audience that are actually up year over year? So what we're looking at here on the screen here are a bunch of charts looking at all the, the, the five big WWE and AW TV programs and saying, okay, Q1 and Q2, since we're only, you know, only through those quarters here. Uh, let's look at last year's Q1 and Q2, basically the first six months of last year, 2022. Let's look at that first half of the year versus this almost complete first half of this year and say, what are the demographic differences here in viewership? What's up? What's down? And what we see here is for WWE, which whose, whose ratings are up, you know, almost totally across the board. What's up? More than anything, I mean, everything is up, almost everything is up slightly, almost everything. We've got a couple demos here that are down, for, even for WB. But what's up more than anything? Young males, young men, I should say. 18 to 34, men 18 to 34. Um, NXT is up 67% in that demo. Raw is up 32% in that demo. SmackDown is up 26% in that demo. Dynamite is actually flat, up 2% in that demo. And the, the demo that is down the least for Rampage is that demo as well. So it sort of suggests to me that, I mean, I don't know. I can't speak for the, the, the men 18 to 34 as you can, Jesse. So I'm no longer included in that group. Uh, a, uh, a class of people who famously supposedly don't watch cable, right? Young people don't watch cable. Young adults don't watch cable. 
you would think the headwinds would be would be stronger for young viewers than older viewers, certainly. Right. Um, and and these other other demos are are up too. I mean, the the female demos are you know are up twelve percent, seventeen percent, ten percent, four percent, five percent. Actually, down slightly for SmackDown uh, women thirty five to forty nine. Um, but the older half of the male demo uh, for NXT is actually down fourteen percent. For Raw, it's up fifteen percent. For SmackDown, it's up twenty five percent. Can we ascribe a narrative here? Like my, the first thing that comes to mind for me is that, well, you're producing better content and better storylines that are attracting viewers. Even on Raw, it's not just the bloodline apparently, but even on Raw, up, to, up 32%. Um, it tells me that, you know, the core audience, which has, you know, statistically been men in young, younger demographics, relatively speaking, under 60, under 50, at least, that core audience has in large part returned to W programming. Yeah, I think that's part of it. I think just to maybe think of one thing, I think Logan Paul and Bad Bunny, both being involved in storylines uh, in WWE so far this year, um, in, in doing well, like critically, uh, mm-hmm. being in, in, in doing in memorable moments and matches and things like that, um, maybe plays a role in not necessarily like their programs alone drawing huge interest, but helping sell WWE as maybe being cool and relevant to this, to people in that age frame. Just and I think guess. Cody's is, is noteworthy here nope. too. Yeah. I'm, I'm thinking, I think, look, I think Cody being over, I think Sami Zayn being over, I think the bloodline, um, you know, dissolution, you know, getting over, I think that's all factors, but those are in some ways kind of universal factors across the board. I think that's just seen as quality content for WWE fans. So, um, they're responding well to that. Um, but I was saying specifically 18 to 34, perhaps it's it's those things. I mean, the NXT number is interesting now. I know that they're they had kind of lost a lot of 18 to 34 fans over the last few years, so they can they have room to gain them back. NXT is intentionally aimed at younger people. I know that they have the oldest skewing fan base of the the, the core WWE shows, but the idea behind NXT is to cater towards younger people. They work hard to push younger talent that are in the 18 to 34 demographic range. They give them what I WWE views as as young and hip gimmicks um, to try to speak to that demographic. So that's a show that's kind of intentionally aimed at younger viewers, or at least a try that's trying to. I don't know how successful it's been in the past, but the median yeah. age of NXT viewership is is going down it's almost as young as smackdown now which is right i mean 55 <laughs> yeah but still the oldest out of out of the wwe um yeah. shows correct the wnaw shows it is now by a slim margin above smackdown as the oldest do you, right. do you think a focus on the in-ring product is increasing this 18 to 34 we're seeing like longer matches and more you know, Gunther matches usually don't disappoint. And, you know, Triple H obviously took a more of an approach on the in-ring product. Do you think that has, for 18 to 34, uh, increasing? I think that the 18 to 34 demographic, compared to maybe some other demographics, are more online than yeah. uh, than the older demographics. Obviously, like, the 35 to 49, you know, 49-year-olds are, are still, you know, online people, too. Uh, maybe not the 50 plus, maybe not as much, but 1834 are definitely more online, probably more in tuned just by, you know, being active on social media with some of the uh, the, the uh, news behind the scenes and perhaps are disproportionately people that would be excited for Triple H to take over from Vince McMahon. Maybe they're a little bit more frustrated with Vince McMahon than uh, 
than the older demographics might be. Um, and so they'd respond better to a triple H led product. Um, might be, might be something. And so what do you, what do you make of, look at dynamite. Dynamite is, is, is down in every demo we're looking at here, except for men 18 to 34, which is actually up 2%. Now this is, remember this is January to June of 2022 versus January to, to today of, of this year. So we're talking about last year, which is a six month period that included CM Punk appearing frequently on dynamite. Cause remember he got injured in June and then he was absent and then he, then he was around for like the middle of August and the very, very early part of, of September. So this is, this is the period last year where CM Punk was present versus a six month period in dynamite where he has definitely not been present yet. Younger male viewership is very slightly up while these other demos are down. Is there meaning there? Like what, what does that mean? Well, if you look at the W, what does the WWE 1834 data tell us? Men are watching that show. Well, men in that demo, well, everybody's watching that show more almost. People are watching WWE more, specifically 1834 people in that demographic are watching WWE again. Like you said, kind of regaining some of the audience that they've A rising tide lifting all boats? Well, I think the part, part of it might be that people are getting back into wrestling. And that so what, these, what's good for WWE is good for AEW in this case. Not necessarily. It's not as it's not as you know one to one as that. But I do think perhaps that people will get enthusiastic about wrestling. Maybe they went a few years without watching it, and they come back and they say, "Oh yeah, like I started watching wrestling again." And maybe they hear about you know, oh AEW. I don't really remember that. Maybe that maybe they weren't watching WWE when AEW first launched. Uh, but it's possible that once you get people kind of back into the wrestling mood, they. Maybe some of them are sampling Dynamite before when they maybe weren't watching wrestling at all a few years ago. Okay. Any other takeaways here? I mean, the NXT number will be interesting to see. I think Seth Rollins is going to be on. I think he's wrestling Braun Breaker on Tuesday, um, which would be kind of an interesting test to see. You know, Seth Rollins as an individual star. Can he? uh, It's time to sprint towards that TV deal for NXT, which is expiring this September or October. Yeah, and it's you know it's very interesting. I I think it's very interesting to see how what the plan is long term for NXT because right. they seem to be focusing again on less I guess on let's get a bunch of new talent on television and more on like let's try to put on like a product that's as good and as and it has some star power to it. So we're seeing a lot more of your veteran you know wrestlers, whether they're people that have always been in NXT or people that are coming in for one shot deals like Seth Rollins is taking more time. I, I like, remember I was looking at the takeover card from a few weeks ago and there's like four wrestlers on that takeover card that could be considered, you know, trained by the performance center. Everyone else was really a veteran from, from other places. Um, it's starting to feel a little bit like the NXT of old, as opposed to the full blown, blown, like we can't worry about, Really, we're not going to worry about like presenting a lot of star power. We're not going to worry about like the, sh- the shows being as awesome as possible. NXT is a is a training center for talent that we are going to try to push in the future. So it's going to be a lot of green people. It's going to be a lot of people that you know were college athletes only a few years ago and have been training for six months or, or less. It's going to be that. It, it seems like it's shifting more back towards we're trying to put out a, a serious television product that can do as big of a rating as possible. Now, is that just for TV rights negotiations? Because Nick Khan has said multiple times that he wants, he views NXT as a third brand. He views NXT as something that should be seen as very valuable for um, 
TV networks to want to have. The ratings have improved, I think, because of that, because they're taking it more seriously, because they're committing more towards an in-ring product and, and focusing on star power than just getting reps for, for young wrestlers. Yeah. Um, Training but, on wrestlers to be wrestlers turns out to not be a great TV rights strategy. Well, everyone's a non-wrestler at some time, at some point in time. But putting people on television that are very early in their careers with little experience um, and, and, you know, even even I, I, to me, that's not even like the off-putting stuff about NXT. The off-putting stuff about NXT is like the gimmicks and the over-the-top kind of. Um, Have those gimmicks know. lessened in these six months versus last year's January to June? I think probably I think some of the ones that were really bad have been phased down in yeah. favor of a few of the people. And you've seen the talent get phased. And like you still see, you know, Braun Breaker, they're still obviously very high on. They're still high on like Tiffany Stratton, obviously. They're high on, uh, you know, the Creed brothers. Some of them they're still, you know, high on. But you're seeing, I think, less and less of the, you know, endless stream of just, you know, here's, you know, a former college football player. And they've got some weird NXT generated name. And now they, and they have some weird gimmick. Um seeing kind of, I think, less and less. They focus more on uh, people with, a, I think they've identified a few of the, the people with what they view as real star potential. And then everyone else is kind of taking a backseat with, you know, your Apollo Cruises and your Dijaks and your kind of veteran wrestlers coming back down through NXT. And they're the ones who are feuding with the, um, the, uh, the, 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 the few, you know, real prospects that they feel like they have down there. Mm-hmm. Cool. Um, I, I, I also feel like the utilization of NXT talent recently over the last six months or so on the main roster has probably garnered interest in the product. I mean, I mean, I mean, Solo Sokoa, NXT, and then he's part of the, the, you know, the biggest storyline in pro wrestling. And then now you're seeing like Zoe Stark's going to be in Money in the Bank. And they're utilizing a lot of these recent NXT call-ups in in really prominent roles. And I feel like if you're a WWE fan, you're like, well, I should probably watch this because all these people are coming up to the main roster and doing big things where when it was mostly Vince led creative, it was, Oh yeah, they came from NXT, but they're, they're on main event. Mostly it's okay. I don't have to go. I'm not missing anything. Right. Okay. And uh, what else we have here? I just look at this really briefly. The, this is the demographic breakdown of the W and AW shows. Um, Dynamite and, and Rampage continue to the not quite the majority, right? We're now at a point where the majority of all of these shows is outside the demo, largely 50 plus. Uh, but AW and, and AW Dynamite and Rampage are a little bit more actually raw. Raw, that's right, and that's consistent. Raw is now now has a, a larger percentage of its viewership within the demo than Rampage, which which is consistent with what we've seen in the median age trends. Um, there's that. So I, I was thinking, you know, if we look at the, the long range of raw ratings which is the most consistent data set that we have right raw has has been around since 1993 raw has with a few years of exception been on one network but it's and certainly been in one time slot well it's been the time is the length of it has been changed um but it's been in, in a similar time slot for 30 years so we just had the 30 30th anniversary right so i wanted to look at that and look at that against sportsmediawatch.com put out two charts here showing the, the the average viewership for the NBA finals and for the Stanley cup finals and looking at that over almost the same timeline and looking at you know, how much has that difference changed? Because obviously we have TV viewership traditionally just going down across 
time because of cord cutting and streaming and whatever. Um, and if you look at, okay, let's say, you know, the NBA finals, well, way back in 93 for the Bulls and the Suns, Charles Barkley versus Michael Jordan, you did have 27 million viewers. And for this year, the Nuggets and the Heat, you, you had about 12 million, million viewers. So that's less than half. This is not a consistent decline. It's jumping up and down all over the place, probably depending on matchups or depending on what else is going on in the world and TV. Um, but it is down a lot, right? I guess we could say it is down, you know, from in most years, it's around, you know, 12 million, 18 million, which is in, in some years half of what it was doing in, in the 90s, which is what I want to look at for WWE. In the case of the Stanley Cup, we had 2.6 million viewers of the average for the, the Las Vegas versus Florida Stanley Cup final this year versus, you know, in prior years doing four or five million, sometimes as low as three million. So a substantial loss there too, um, versus Raw now doing about 1.8 million viewers on average year to date versus in the really hot period, obviously doing as much as 7 million viewers. But in, you know, say, say the early night, say the mid nineties, where I don't think of that as a terribly hot period, certainly in the mid nineties, where it's doing 3 million. Um, so almost now double what it's doing today. So anyway, did, like, do I draw any strong conclusions from this? I guess the answer is not really. Um, in that only that, you know, TV rate, you know, sports TV ratings for at least in this case, the most important matchup has been similar to the, to the decline in Raw's ratings in some ways. Although this is much more consistent of a decline from say 2009 to today. Um, but I, I did want to make the point too that this is a truly remarkable moment in wrestling TV ratings history. I think that we're seeing here in that ratings for Raw are up. Three percent, three percent for Raw. This is based on a median, by the way, um, which has basically never happened since 2009. Apparently, ratings were up eight percent that year versus the year prior. It was flat in 2014, coinciding, I would note, with the launch of the W Network. Uh, but other than that, it's been nothing but negative declines for like ten years in a row. So this is this has never happened before. Well, this is this has not happened in ten years, uh, probably since you know. Since I've been writing about wrestling and, and doing published work about wrestling, there, there has never been an increase like this in Raw's TV ratings, which I think is, is reflective of a genuine increase in popularity. Yeah, I mean, there's no other way to really look at it, right? Especially when you consider that they're fighting the trends uh, of cable decline, yeah. right? Mm -hmm. um, and you could say, like, even, like, the last few years, if you go back to, like, the they've kind of stopped the bleeding in a lot of ways. Um, is it possible that around 2020, especially during the pandemic, especially during even the pre Thunderdome era where you were just watching that show. The COVID definitely lot, hurt, hurt wrestling ratings in a big way. Right. And I know like there wasn't as much stuff happening in people's lives during that period. So maybe that didn't impact television as much as possible. It possibly could have, but you watch those wrestlers just, Oh my God. Like the presentation of the product was so, Hard. It was such a tough watch, just quiet. You could hear a pin drop during matches and segments. And I do feel like that kind of led us to, like, this is a baseline of people that will literally always watch, no matter what. And it's, um, by the way, it's it's up, but it has not recovered to anywhere near the 2019 level, as we can see here. 2.4 million mm -hmm. was the median for 2019, and it's only at 1.8 million right now. So it's up, but not up to the pre-pandemic level, certainly. But does that, does that 1.8, 1.7 million number... 
roughly. Obviously, that's a year average. It's you know often it's, it's, it's a median to be to be clear. But yes, yeah. um, is that really the baseline of just lifelong WWE fans that are pretty much always going to watch? Did at some the pandemic rush us into the 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 the, the baseline for what WWE ratings can do? Um, and is is that really like I don't want to say like it's rock bottom because that gives it more of a negative connotation than I want to co- kind of go with. But is that your base for these people are going to watch pretty much no matter what? Um, and then this year, because the product has improved and because there's more, much more enthusiasm and optimism for certain characters and the direct overall direction of storylines in the company, you've been able to see an increase um, from what I would consider like the bottom uh, baseline. I think it's uh what like was was covid the like the lowest it could possibly go um, I think covid accelerated us to like especially the period like I said pre thunderdome where they were just you watch the yeah. shows and they're just so they're so difficult to watch I implore anybody who has forgotten them like go back and try to watch wrestling like that it was so um such a tough watch and the product was also even lousier than it is now so yeah. I mean, that makes um, sense given that that big year to year, to year change. Yeah. And Did I that think... just bring us down to this is the base level of people that are going to watch WWE pretty much no matter what. And that's kind of reflected in they haven't lost. They didn't lose anyone in 2021, didn't lose anyone in 2022. Um, and now there's they can they have room to go up because they're at basically the baseline of these are the absolute hardcore, hardcore fans that are going to watch no matter what. Well, I think what happened in 2022 is in the, in the middle of 2021, they went back to touring. And ratings somewhat improved. And I think there was sort of a tailwind in those comparisons year over year because you had live fans there in full capacity buildings. So there was a benefit in that way. But there was also still a content problem, Vince, uh, at that time that was offsetting that. And that resulted in what would otherwise be rating better you know, what would be higher ratings being lower ratings and being essentially flat ratings. And I think similar happens in 2022 where you have about six and a half months of that year are, are benefiting from live audience. Whereas the first six months of the prior year was not. So I think if you don't have the content problem, there's an increase in 2022 and in, and in probably in 2021 too. Right. This post-wrestling podcast is brought to you by NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. Financial literacy can be daunting, but it's one of the most valuable things you can equip yourself with. On NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast, their trusted financial journalists offer easily digestible, conversational discussions on topics like balancing your portfolio. If you think an ETF is one of Cena's five moves of doom, this show might be for you. Planning for your tax bills this April, so you don't have to worry about a visit from Erwin R. Scheister and putting away more money for retirement. Because unlike most wrestlers at the end of their careers, most of us should only plan on retiring once. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast on your favorite podcast app. Future you will thank you. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Um, 
I think that's all I have for today, unless there's questions, which I don't see any yet. So if you guys have anything else. Do you think, um, just think about this leading up to uh, uh, Collision, obviously. There's a story about CM Punk gave out this explosive interview with ESPN, and it's going to be trouble. People are going to be really mad about it. Um, that was the the rumor going around the uh, wrestling internet circles, and certain media members like Wade Keller were saying it's, you know, it might be, might be, might be a, a one of it's one of those weeks. It's going to be one of those weeks in AEW, which is what Wade said. Um, and of course, you know, the interview dropped. I guess it's up to, to each individual person whether or not they thought it was a big deal or not. It seemed it was probably more tame than maybe people expected. Maybe we were led to believe and. There was this whole argument about, well, who was telling the media it was a big deal? Um, who were who the people out there that were leaking it and all those things? And who was culpable for that? And I think a lot with this CM Punk reporting, and uh, you know, it goes all the way back to, you know, CM Punk believing that the executive vice presidents were, you know, the Young Bucks were, were, were leaking to the media that CM Punk got Cole Cabana fired and things like that. I was thinking that the standard in wrestling media being that nobody is ever sourced for their comments. Nobody is ever, you know, goes on the record and, and, and says what they actually think for the most part, especially relative to normal media, sports media in general. Because of all that, um, we're kind of in this mess where nobody knows who's giving information to anyone. And it leads to people thinking people are, are, are gaslighting other people. And we never know who's really responsible for shaping our media narratives at all. It's all just leaked through anonymous sources that are never, ever named. And I was just thinking that a lot of this can be cleared up. A lot of this drama, all of the, everything dating back to CM Punk's meltdown at all out. And even before that, um, all of that can be traced back to, and certainly be rectified in some ways. If, People actually went on the record and put their name on stuff so we wouldn't have to play the guessing game and we wouldn't have to make up conspiracy theories for who said what or who do we think these sources are. And I just think that becoming the standard in wrestling media to be no one ever asked, has to go on the record, but we'll publish whatever you say anyway, um, has led to a lot of that unnecessary drama and unnecessary aspects of, of the wrestling industry. And I think that um, it's bad for everyone and it's bad for fans because they never quite know who's being responsible for potential misinformation. And the major players in wrestling media are, are happy to use all those anonymous sources because they want scoops, they want content, even if it means sometimes they're being worked or sometimes they're being uh, misled. I, don't know, I, I question like how, how much wrestling is really different from other areas of reporting in, that, in this way, especially if we're talking about what I would maybe call insider reporting and we, we we read portions of the new york post article from andrew marchand today where he's citing unnamed sources related to a tv deal mm-hmm. and we could speculate whether whether people in, involved in wwe were were feeding him that information or not uh, or you know whatever um is it that much different than other other obviously forms of ins- media entertainment sports reporting Obviously, like insider reporting does rely a lot on the similar methods, right? And, and I would add is- too, if you want people to go on the record, I I think the incentive in a social media age for people to go on the record is pretty low. Whenever when these people they could just tweet or they could post a Instagram story if they want to say something on the record, why why go through a media outlet to do that? I guess. Mm-hmm. And um, 
but I think in insider reporting, like if you look at like what Woj does in the NBA or something like that, yes, he's relying a lot on anonymous sources or a source or just vaguely saying, you know, a source tells us, you know, the Pelicans are looking at trading Zion Williamson or something like that. That does happen. But you also have, just have way more on the record conversations in, in, in sports media. There'll be long stories with people going on the record with whether it's agents, whether it's players themselves, whether it's coaches, whether it's... And, and that's as a result of interviews. So I, I, I don't know. Is, is that a result of interviews that are being done for the article? Or is that a result of like scrums and media access? Both. Both. Both is... Both. Yeah. Certainly a lot of it comes from, you know, in real sports, most athletes and coaches are, are you know, bound to have to fa- face questions from the media after games and things like that, which gives you a lot more on the record content than we do in wrestling. And there's a no lot of it also of that for them. Like they are commit, they are, I don't know if it's legally, legal, there's contractual, the, there's contractual yeah. obligations. It's in like players contracts. You have to be presented for the media. Um, if everyone famously remembers Marshawn Lynch's thing where he, every, he answered every question by saying, I'm just here because so I don't get fined. Like that's because he had a contract. That <laughs> if, he, if he didn't do it, he would be fined. Yeah. Um, Whereas in, in wrestling, I mean, the, the, the notion of there being press conferences is, 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 a, is a relatively new yeah. uh, emergence. And the people who are participating in that are just doing it to, to be cooperative with, you know, with their employer. Yeah, and like, you know, to Punk's credit in this instance, like Punk went on the record and did a long interview with Mark uh, Raimondi on ESPN. And mm-hmm. those are Punk's quotes. We don't have to play the guessing game of who said these things about the elite, who said these things about Hangman Page. Punk put his name on it. Um, so at least in that one instance, we know, but I also think that there's a lot of it going around where, um, you know, everyone, whether they're wrestlers, whether they're, you know, people, other people associated with the company, whether it's the bookers, whether it's people in other companies that are, that are, you know, being sources for drama in, in, in companies. I think all of that is, is, is coming into play. And the wrestling fans have absolutely no idea who any of these people are, who's presenting these information. I just think that being the standard for wrestling media has caused a lot of these issues. I don't think you would have the CM Punk accuses the young bucks and or hangman page or whoever of leaking. Oh, um, you know, CM Punk is responsible for Coca Cabana no longer being with the company. That wouldn't happen I think in like real sports or in real reporting. When you say because people's there's accusations, we're talking about fans who are making accusations as opposed to like punk alluding to certainly in the, in the all out press conference last year, alluding to the EVPs. Well, punk, punk accused the young bucks of leaking the Colt Cabana rumor to the media. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just, I think if that, and that was lar- largely, why did he do that? Well, he, he probably really believed it. Yeah. And why did he really believe it? Because there were rumors out there that people were reporting that Cole Caban, you know, there's a feeling backstage that CM Punk got Cole Cabana fired. I mean, according to that, yes, no names interview, like he, be- he believed, he believed yeah. it following. I mean, according to him, Hangman says to him after the worker workers rights face to face promo that the reason why he said that is because he believes, according to Punk, <laughs> Hangman believed that Punk got Cabana removed or fired or demoted or whatever. Right. Um, and because those aren't those those comments are not sourced to anyone, CM Punk can create any conspiracy theory or whether he whether it's true or not. We I guess we don't still know it's true. I know like people like Dave and Sean have denied that, you know, the young bucks were the people with the source for that information. Um, but 
CM, but it, but it leaves room for CM Punk or wrestling fans themselves to believe that because the standard is nobody goes on the record. Nobody's name is ever attached to any of these rumors. And every day there's a new story where someone said something, but we don't know who that person is. Um, and it's not an effective way to communicate. And it leads to a lot of unnecessary drama, uh, both for the wrestlers in the wrestling company itself and for fans who are forced to kind of part of the reason I think you see a lot of tribalism and you see people taking sides is because there's no clear line between who said what it allows people to let their fandom get the best of them when it comes to evaluating something. Do you think a lot, some has to do with the organizations themselves not really acknowledging the rumors and trying to nip them in the bud much like sports do? Because, like, the the Bills just had this with Stefan Diggs, and they addressed it head on, you know? All right. What did the Bills do for reference? Well, well, the the Bills, you know, said Stefan Diggs wasn't at practice, so they were concerned about it. And then he showed up the next day to minicamp, and they said, hey, he's here. We talked it out. Josh Allen, Brandon Bean, and high profile wide receiver. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, Explained the situation. Do we know why Stefan was upset? No, we still do not know that. Uh, But. Is he mad address- because of the, the playoff game? They, they addressed it head on. And, you know, I don't think like Tony Khan, I don't think he really addressed this situation too head on as far as what was really going on with Punk and the Bucks. And I'm like, yeah. Well, how about this? How about- He's not made comments on the record to, to, the, to the effect of even acknowledging that there was a fight. How, how yeah. about this? How about this, guys? This is if I had one question to ask you to Tony Khan, this is what I would ask him. Okay. A couple weeks ago, um, there was a rumor going on. Online, some, you know, not super trustworthy news site was, was pushing this rumor that uh, Jao Paulina, who is arguably Fulham's best player, one of Fulham's best players, basically, uh, he had a a, 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 a clause in his contract um, that's uh, basically if a another team agrees to pay a certain amount of money, they can then negotiate with the player directly so they don't have to haggle over a transfer fee. Um, with Fulham. So basically what it was, a rumor that basically said that Paulinha is at risk of leaving Fulham because he has this clause in his contract. It's, it's called the release clause um, where if a team offers, I think it was like 40 million pounds, team offers to pay 40 million pounds, they can uh, basically take Paulinha without Fulham really having negotiated a higher fee. Tony Khan quote tweets the news source that was pushing this rumor and says flatly, there is no reserve clause or there is no release clause in this contract. Um, so this is Tony Khan seeing a, a something, a, a false um, rumor about one of his star players. And he's immediately flatly, you know, putting it out there. Absolutely not true. And I think he must see stuff like that about AEW all the time, but he doesn't address it head on like that. He could easily kill a lot of rumors that go along with AEW by doing a very similar method, by seeing it and then quote tweeting and saying that's totally not true. But he almost never does that, despite the fact that he's the same person. But it's because one of them is he's working, operating in real sports. And one of them is he's in the wacky world of professional wrestling where you don't, you just don't do that. And my question for him would be, why don't you do that with wrestling? Because I'm he, sure he's he, he did that with the Swole story. Yeah, that's was like the only one time I ever, I was thinking about that, that. That's like one of the only times he ever did it. But I'm sure he must see it every day. With with with, with I mean, like, all the is it, is does this this case not apply to where he went after Mike Coppinger for saying that you know about the Wembley attendance? I think to an extent that's more of like a personal thing. I think with <laughs> or Aero Hawani or. Whatever. But I'm talking about like this is a this is like a um, Jao Paulina is like 
you know, a star AEW wrestler in the terms of where he is for Fulham. And mm-hmm. if there was a rumor about a contract situation that was wrong, which I'm sure happens a lot with AEW wrestlers, why isn't he, you know, out there quashing those rumors? And it's like he conducts himself in two different ways, one for pro wrestling and one for real sports. And the real sports way is much more transparent and much more direct. And in wrestling, it's all kind of part of a show and it's all kind of part of a work. And it's strange, like Gullo mentioned how the Bulls handled the Stefan Diggs situation much more direct than you would see a wrestling company do it. And it's like, this is Tony Khan. He's he's the same person. He's I, got I think, one I think the apt comparison for, for the Fulham player is the TV deal, the rumored $1 billion TV deal. Like, why didn't somebody kill that? At least on background. I don't know. It's better to get people wondering and guessing and wrestling than it is in real sports. Now, is part of that because... I think from a PR perspective, it leaves... What what happened was was that, oh, they don't have a deal. And, and then it looks like there's egg on AEW's face. And the assumption would be... I think the assumption would be if in real sports, you have much more robust, especially, you know, you know soccer or football, which is going to be very extremely well covered by many, many uh, institutions, there's going, since there's a lot higher of a media coverage standard for what they're producing, there's more of an emphasis on, we got to make sure we squash any rumors because we don't want, you know, the Guardian to report it, or we don't want the BBC, or we don't want um, Sky Sports or The Athletic or whoever your your big, you know, prestigious media sources uh, for, for, for soccer coverage reporting it as opposed to wrestling. It's like, ah, we don't really care if there's speculation on Fightful Selects about, about this. Um, so we don't feel like we need to address it. And is this me- wrestling media and wrestling aggregation, according to our conversation with Richard Deitch, is, is, is an animal unlike any other, right? Like there, I, I know there's football aggregation, but it's not what wrestling aggregation is where any fact, I, I, was, I was, it was, it was interesting for me to watch how, how our interview with Tony was aggregated. I, I, there was, at least one story saying, you know, uh, you know, t- Tony responds to whether or not there's an exclusive exclusivity deal, you know, according to the New York Post, which he didn't answer. He didn't answer the question. Like he, his response was not a response. Like, but that was aggregated with a headline that suggested he had some answer to it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, aggregation is a major problem across all media. Uh, and it, whenever I listen to like, you know, prominent sports writers and, and people who have podcasts and stuff like that. Absolutely, they absolutely hate it. Uh, Zach Lowe, who's a very mild-mannered, uh, very highly respected NBA reporter for ESPN, like you bring up aggregators to him, and he just blows a gasket because everyone now has to be super careful with what they say. Everyone has to be super careful with. Um, I think that's a huge influence in why Tony has yeah. gravitated to to be on to his his on the record self has become the way that it has, which is very guarded. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And a lot of that comes back to wrestling media not necessarily being the most professional wrestling media, you know. It's a bunch of semi, semi-pros semi and amateurs. And it's catering to the lowest comments in the dominator with, with clickbait headlines um, and, and that kind of aspect of it. So there's a reason, there's a rational reason to that, uh, for sure. Yeah. I guess my, my, my feeling on this stupid drama surrounding the, the lead-up to the, to the ESPN article, um, I guess one, and maybe this is just my personal interest and bias as a somebody who focuses on business is like what somebody's sentiment is what somebody's concern is in most cases i don't think is reportable i don't it's not certainly not something that i i'm interested in 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 reading about certainly not something i'm interested in reporting just because somebody's 
worried about an interview that's coming up. It's fine information to have on background to inform your subsequent reporting, I think, but I don't think it's something that needs to be or should be reported, I guess. Um, and secondly, I, I would say CM Punk being on the record in the ESPN article, it's not a coincidence at all that that's with ESPN as opposed to he's, he's never going to give a quote on the record to Fightful or to the Observer or to PW Insider. He's going to only give quotes on the record to outlets with a high reach that are going to help them promote something, which is exactly what that exactly why that interview was happening. I mean, I understand AW wanted it to be with ESPN for obvious reasons for that reason. Mm-hmm. Right. And, uh, CM Punk has been, I mean, there's allegedly there, there's NDAs and stuff regarding the, the elite, uh, and punk fight and how much respectively everyone can comment on it. seems like very little, obviously Tony Khan has said peep about it despite being asked dozens and dozens of times in various interview settings. Um, this is the closest we've come to someone addressing it. Yeah. Right. It, it, it tells me that the, the degree to which he addressed it and even the, the degree to which Kenny addressed it, which is not deeply, like they didn't talk about the details of, of the fight and what happened, but it tells me that Tony could have said mm-hmm. something, something more substantive than what he, what he has, which would improve or, or prevent from damaging his relationship with media and fans. Not damaging. Damaging is, is his relationship with media is probably strong, but it, I think damaging the brand perception with a of of AEW with fans as being uh you know as as AEW avoiding reality, avoiding the truth, and to you know to an extent insulting people's intelligence. I mean, I go back to that the dynamite in Buffalo that happened after the brawl out incident, and he got booed for the first time you've ever seen him get booed. Because he was just talking about the title tournament. He didn't address anything that happened that weekend. Right. Okay. Anything else? Uh, we got a couple super chats. Oh, we do? Okay. Yeah, we do. We got some uh, here. Uh, so this is from Tim B. Has cable home, has cable been reduced to 1998-99 levels yet? I seem to remember that uh, that time being about 62 million cable homes. I don't know. Uh, obviously, the population has grown. Therefore, households have grown. Um, Kate, I will. I will look this up. I'll go to the next question. Okay. All right. And our next super chat here is from Nick NP. Uh, the next TV levels uh, for each promotion should be linear streaming simulcast, since we don't know what cable will look like in five years' time. So it's more of a comment from Nick, a prediction. I think there's going to be some kind of streaming, some kind of maybe simulcast with you know maybe some, some episodes are on the usa network and peacock some episodes um being on streaming to to widen to widen yep. the, uh, the reach i think that's something that's definitely going to happen in some capacity um whether it's like every week is going to be simulcast would be interesting to see but i know particularly nbcu especially with soccer games that are on uh usa network like the english Premier league those games are, are very frequently simulcast both on peacock and on um you know, USA. So it's on linear and streaming. It wouldn't surprise me if something like that starts happening with raw, that you can watch raw on either Peacock or, um, USA. So in 1998, according to the FCC, there were 66.1 million homes the following year, 67.3 million homes. There are currently, you know, FX and and USA are in 74 ish million homes. So more homes today for all these the big networks, the big cable networks, than the Attitude Era. 
which I think should inform how we look at those ratings, right? Like, I think other things have competed with television, including streaming and other forms of entertainment, but it's similar coverage, right? It's, if anything, it's higher coverage by several million today versus then. Okay. Anything else? Yep. I think that, I think that's everything here. Anything to plug? Um, I'll be bringing out to this Not weekend for uh, next week. ESW Friday Night Heat. Uh, other than that, uh, light summer so far. So, okay, that's in Niagara Falls, right? Yes, Niagara, Niagara Falls, Falls area. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Thanks. Uh, we're going to do this program at the normal time next week, I think, because I will be going to Forbidden Door like as soon as we're done recording next week. Um, so we'll talk to you then. And uh, I will be back on Wednesday with John Pollock. We'll be talking to Dave Meltzer. Ratings Discourse. See you then. Bye. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.